Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney, joined tonight by 3MA founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello. We also welcome our friend, freelance writer, John Bolding. Hey, y'all. So today, we're playing something new that feels a little bit old. We are playing Mobius Front 83, which is a war game from Zachtronics about a perhaps parallel worlds red dawn type scenario happening in the central united states in the 1980s uh where a group of very stereotypical u.s troops from any war movie from that period uh find themselves bushwhacked by an invading army that appears to be another american force uh it's an interesting premise. Zachtronics are renowned for making interesting, offbeat games. John, why don't you set the table a little bit? What is Mobius 83, and is it what you might expect when you hear Zachtronics and Wargame? Uh, I don't know what you would expect when you hear Zachtronics and Wargame. This is the company that brought us games about, like, organic chemistry. That was their big game last year. It was a game where you do organic chemistry to make drugs and then sell your illegal drugs. And it was awesome. And I loved it. They also made uh, Opus Magnum, that fancy game about magic alchemy processes from uh, a couple years ago that was really big. And they made now Mobius Front 83. And it's fascinating to see a developer that has an incredibly mathematical puzzle focused mind try to take on the war game as a genre and to see what their influences are. And in Mobius Front 83, you are presented with a series of scenarios, static scenarios. They're the same basically every time. Uh, they're relatively unvaried maps with a handful of different terrain types, open ground, forests, roads, water. That's it. And you kind of go from there at, you have a set number of points, you get them over three phases, or you get them all at once in the beginning, depends on who you're playing as that round. But it is a war game which is distinctly unconcerned with the mechanics of warfare. And as you might expect from a puzzle game developer, it feels like much more of a puzzle that you have to use the pieces you're given, or pieces you choose in this case, since you choose your units from a pool with points to solve the puzzle and figure out how to beat the scenario. Yeah, I felt like, you know, the point of comparison that immediately struck me was Panzer General uh, and its many imitators. And in playing it, I think I am still waiting for that moment where it clicks over and I see the reinvention or the reinterpretation of what this is. But for me, like in the opening hours of this thing, it certainly began to remind me of both what is good about the Panzer General type model, but also, Troy, it started pushing a lot of my buttons when it comes to puzzle scenario design. Yeah, and this is in many ways, especially in the early going when you're learning uh, the game, it is a lot like Panzer General in that you have to lose the scenario before you can win it in many ways uh, until you figure out some of the tricks and it's kind of easy cruising uh, because you start out and you have no idea what the opponents, the first many scenarios, 
your opponent will show up with a new kind of weapon, a new vehicle, and you've prepared for something else entirely. Uh, so, oh, crap, now they have anti-aircraft. Oh, crap, now they have um, super tanks. Um, and that undoes all of your plans, so you lose and you have to start again. Just like, in many ways, Panzer General, the optimal to find the optimal way of winning it, you almost have to either lose it or win it very narrowly. Uh, one advantage it has over Panzer General is it's not like you can upgrade your army and find you've made a very poor build uh, for the final battle. I mean, you're not carrying units over from one to the next. Um, but the simplicity of uh, the terrain, the simplicity of the maps works in its advantage. But a lot of the game is uh, discovering what you're up against and then saying, oh, I should have done it this way. And then you play it all over again. Um, sometimes you can take a look at the map and figure out, oh, this, like, in the first chapter, there are a couple of missions where you have to take out some anti-aircraft stuff. Um, and you quickly realize, well, if there's anti-aircraft stuff, it's going to be over there in the clearing. Uh, so you just make a beeline for the clearing and you can wipe it out. That's just easy. And yeah, it's not that smart. Um, but there's a lot of, okay, where, what, how much, how much infantry do they have? Oh, you don't know until you find it. Um, how many tanks do they have? You don't know until they show up. Um, and it's hard to prepare and know what you're deploying when you're buying your units at the very beginning, um, what to be ready for. So there's a lot of trial and error in this. I wouldn't go far as to call it a puzzle game. Um, and it's not even puzzly in the way that Panzer General is puzzly because there isn't, there isn't a best, there's, there, there aren't necessarily right answers uh, here. Uh, there are definitely a lot of wrong answers. Um, and you can win sometimes through discovering what the great tactical trick of the game is, which is your infantry are going to save your ass more often than you could possibly imagine. Um, it's all about putting infantry in the forests. There's, there's your trick, people. It's dump your infantry in the forest as soon as you can because you didn't, there aren't any turn limits. Let them move slowly. And because you can't attack an infantry unit in the forest unless you're right beside it. And that gives it an immense advantage. Um, a lot of it is learning the tricks and tips for each of your units. But it is very much a game where you'll fail and then you'll try over again. Um, I think this is also epitomized. I mean, uh, John said he's a puzzle game developer. And yeah, I mean, Space Camp was his first game that I played. It's really a really great puzzle game. There's still some of that here, but a lot of it is in like the mini games. For example, you eventually unlock this signal decoding game. Yep. And yeah, which I think uh, that seems reminiscent of uh, Shenzhen IO, right? Yeah, it's it very, is. Yeah, very much like Shenzhen. Um, but you're not told how it works, really. Uh huh. There aren't any instructions as to what these pieces are. You just have to try to fit them out and fit them together and try to make it work somehow. It's just all symbols and signals, and then oh. This then you have to teach yourself how it works, which is a fun bit of cryptography, but it's entirely optional. Uh, like their, their solitaire cribbage game, which is great. I love solitaire cribbage, uh, but entirely optional. And all, all that stuff seems more like uh, Zach Barth's comfort zone. In many ways, Mobius Front 83 feels like a war game from 1983. It's very simple. Sometimes that works to its advantage, and sometimes it's just... Ugh, not this again. Yeah, you're not you're not wrong. Uh 
I will say that the solitaire variant that's included in this, it's sort of a Zachtronics joke long running, right? That there's always solitaire to play in the games um, is really solid, though. Yeah. Cribbage solitaire is fun. The solitaire games are always fantastic. Um, legitimately, like uh, they published Eliza last year, and that was, I think, one of my favorite games of the year. But the other thing that I played a ton of in that game was definitely the solitaire uh, Shenzhen IO had a solitaire game. Yeah, they, they are very good at making these solitaire games. Um, yeah, Zextronic games are, are, are fun toy boxes in some ways. They're t- they, they, they tend to go for that immersive AI look. Uh, not AI, uh, UI uh, look. Yeah. And that tends to make them pretty cool uh, conceptually. I, and it, it pays off here. It's very slick. I like how the UI looks in this game. It also it try it also is a place where the game calls one of its shots, which is early on in the so you, you interact with the game through a uh, through a view of a field radio uh, like communications um, interface, mostly radio, but there's little uh, you know there there's a little TV screen uh, built into it, and then you get you know other things other things there and one of them is some field manuals uh cold war era field manuals uh from the US army sort of outlining as as the game says these are the things that mobius front 83 is trying to evoke it tells you right up front that while the game is not a simulation it is at least trying to uh evoke some of what these cold war era field manuals are getting at. And in this, the, the two games this reminded me a lot of, uh, this feels like a very stripped down. Um, Oh gosh. What was the, um, I, so one of the games it reminds me of is steel division, uh, with its phased battle structure. Not quite the same thing where you have steel division is trying to imply like fights keep escalating. So the heaviest stuff comes out in the largest numbers uh, in phase C here. It's a little bit more of a, it's just a way to drip feed uh, units into the battle and create sort of a uh, sense of continuing conflict and give you ability, give you an ability to in the middle of a mission sort of reappraise uh, what you're doing and either try to salvage something with a rushing reinforcements to a key point, or maybe open up an entirely new approach or new line of attack. But the other thing it reminded me a bit of was Armored Brigade, which we played last year uh, with uh, Ian that and um, Rod Humble. And I think that was a game that uh, a lot of us really enjoyed and also was trying to get at Cold War conflict. And this reminds me of those. The the way it reminds me of Armored Brigade is um, one of the real dilemmas in this game. And Troy, you already sort of hinted at it. Infantry are enormously powerful, but very slow. And a lot of this game is about using combined arms, uh, you know, mechanized warfare and rushing these very powerful but very sluggish units to the best position you can without having them get completely whacked uh, on the way and you lose the entire basket of troops uh, while while they are embarked. 
And so a big part of this game is getting at something that's very familiar from Cold War era war games, which is that battles tend to be fast moving and fast developing. And a big part of the tactical uh, decision making you have to make as a commander is when to embark, where to move, where to safely disembark, and where to set up your your weapons uh, that, that do need to be sort of crewed and staged. And so I think this is where it maybe does differ just a bit from what I'm more familiar with for, uh, from Panzer General games, where a lot of that is just sending units around out there to bump into something, and then it's kind of rock, paper, scissors. This is much more about trying to find a place where you can sort of uh stage your forces and get set up for the actual fight yeah and there it's a lot of the units have like one or two special tricks to them and some of them actually hamper them for example you have very powerful some very powerful artillery or some very powerful anti-tank weapons but they need to set up they have to need to they, they can't move they can either move or they can set up they can't fire until they're set up so if you move them then they can't fire they can't set up they set up they've wasted that turn they so you won't they don't get a shot off. So you need to be careful of where they are and make sure they're not spotted by a unit that can say move and fire at the same time, which are pretty much only tanks that can move and fire at the same time in, in the same turn. So there's a, and their howitzers are the same, very, very powerful against infantry, weak against vehicles, huge range, and they can shoot across the map, but very fragile. Uh tanks are Quite powerful because they can move and shoot at the same time, but can be knocked out by an AT weapon, and sometimes not even destroyed. They can just be immobilized if they get their if they get damaged beyond a certain point. So they're virtually useless. Uh, so you can weaken a tank and then not and then move your guys on if it can't attack. Um, so their uh, helicopters need to transport troops across the map, but they're relatively weak, especially against. Uh, anti-air can only go in clear areas and have to land to take on or drop off their troops. So the, a lot of these units have like one or two special things that make, they make them either very strong or weak in certain situations, which means that there is quite a bit of decision. There's quite a bit of decision making here in a very small game, in a very small package. It's not like, say, Steel Division or Arbor armor commander or armor brigade where there's all these detailed models of equipment um you know the the uh big battle tank isn't an accurately modeled battle tank uh by any means and the iroquois helicopter it can just be called whatever you want helicopter it doesn't model anything uh but each of the units is relatively distinct in one or two ways which makes them easy pieces in a way in a war game there are things that you can't you have to worry about you know their defense value you just need to worry about okay how can they move when can they attack can they go into forest yes no and what is the best way to get through these winding paths because most of the maps are set up as kind of like mazes mm -hmm. clear areas sometimes a road and often of an awful lot of forest um because it's set somewhere in the Midwest around Milwaukee, I guess, uh, somewhere. So it's, it is really an interesting, there are some interesting decisions here for its simplicity. 
Uh, and I think, though I don't have a whole lot of like glowing things to say about uh, the game, I do think uh, Zytronics has to be praised for at least understanding what makes a simple war game an interesting war game. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. The The base design, and I think part of the reason I played this game for as long as I did, is that it's base, it's it's straightforward and easy to understand, and you rarely have a single interesting piece on the board that couldn't be meaningfully replaced by another piece. Each thing does one or two jobs, and it uses its abilities in a very specific way. Um, and each of the enemies' pieces is very similar and, and has an exact use in and of itself. I think the frustration starts to enter the game when you realize that certain things simply aren't reliable. And for me, when I realized that a lot of the game at, at sort of the, the higher level of play, right? When you start to get into the later missions, the thing you really have to do is hide a lot, keep your pieces hidden and very rarely put them into place. And there's eventually this point where very frustratingly certain things certain things weapons you have feel start to feel useless in the face of what the enemy fields as opposed to what you feel because there's a, a point there's sort of points of divergence in this where you realize that yeah this this is an alternate reality you're fighting right this is a different united states and so their their point of development their point of divergence is a little different they have invested into different technologies than your united states you have certain things available that they don't have, and they have certain things that you don't have. Yeah, I think one of the lessons I sort of felt the game hammered early, you, you mentioned that a lot of this becomes about hiding. And I think part of that is driven by, I think this would be a very Panzer General uh, puzzle-esque war game if they did time limits, which is really the thing that makes those things feel like trial and error puzzles, right? That you have to hit these uh, you know, victory locations by such and such a time, or you will lose the mission, or you simply won't get enough points off the mission, whatever. But this game doesn't really uh, impose those time limits for, for the most part. And so usually what one of the things that I had to get over with this game is frequently in, in war games like this, I am sort of taught to sprint forward uh, and sort of just try to make contact and and, and try to basically get some, get some map control uh, early. This is very much like the Steel Division uh, model as well. But usually because the enemy has a good starting force and a, and a good starting position, I will just get swamped as they are rolling across the map uh, and I'm trying to race across it. And what became one of my old reliable uh, approaches is just post up in the forests and like basically, you know, set up my lines and kind of wait to see who I can bait into kill zones and just grind through. That is so much of the tactic is simply set up a kill zone and then sort of just wait until the AI gets impatient and walks into it. Yeah. Yeah. And like there. And look, I think this is the, the look, this is a feature of 
games that try to model this particular era of conflict as well. I mean, you know, Troy, you and I have talked about this. Like, this is an era where the lethality of so many weapons uh, due to missile guidance systems and, uh, you know, better, you know, better ballistic engineering, the lethality increases far beyond what you can counterbalance with just slapping more armor on stuff. And so I think you do see similar dynamics in uh, Flashpoint campaigns. You see similar dynamics in, um, you know, Wargame Airland Battle, where so much of it becomes about, you know, beware every forest because guided missiles could come swarming out of it at any time. So I understand like where this is coming from uh, to an extent, but in a war game that is this sort of stripped down, I don't know that that hit particularly well for me. Yeah. There's never really a sense that, you know, your plan is coming together when are having this grand strategic mind when you're generally looking at, okay, here's where the forest is. Here's where the infantry is going to hide. Um, how far can my helicopters get to hit them from behind? Uh, which is generally what I would do. I take a helicopter and they fly out and I'd set up an ambush from the rear, um, which the AI always, always neglected um, to protect its rear, um, which is, I guess in this alternate reality, nobody studied basic tactics. Uh, so the AI can be lured into uh, traps relatively well, and sometimes it just stops. Sometimes it will, it will put in a position where the AI will not move. Uh, maybe because that's the safest position. Maybe because it, it, it sees enough of your infantry to know that you've set up a kill zone for its jeeps. But there's very rarely a sense of, aha, I did this great tactical move. Even in Panzer General, which I'm not a fan of, as, list, as long-time listeners will know, sometimes there was a bit of triumph when you realize, oh, if I use this artillery followed by this airplane, I can take out this strong point faster. You don't get that sense here, because it is very much on the ground, simple, very rough <coughs> rock, paper, scissors setup, and... Yeah, I mean, you, the, the tactics do very often boil down to dumping as dumping your infantry in the forest, getting a two-to-one advantage against their infantry whenever you can, um, and laying in with your AT weapons for when a jeep or a tank uh, comes walking by. And if you can take one of their trucks or uh, mech infantry carriers before they can unload, then you can you will often have a huge manpower advantage. Uh, so finding doing some recon and finding those early is very, very important. Um, one of the great UI things in the game is that when you it, when you order a move, it will show you what you can shoot and what can shoot at you, which I think is just fantastic as far as planning out the yes. game. It really does feel many ways. That's where it feels like most like a puzzle teaching thing saying, okay, if you make this move, here's what the counter moves are going to be. Um, which is great. I mean, we've seen a lot more of that, I think, in games of a predictive behavior uh, for AI. That here it's not necessarily a prediction as much as here's what you're opening yourself up to. And that's great. It's a great UI thing. Uh, but it does make it a little bit easier for you to think, okay, here's where my hidden zone is. Here's where they can't get to me. Here's where they can't see me. Um, and I do end up defaulting a lot to 
put the infantry in the, in the scrums because uh, nothing can get me there. I mean, there aren't there aren't where are my flame throwing tanks that could just burn down a forest, right? They're not here. No, they're exactly. But that's what I'd want, right? Right. Uh, I mean, that's what you would think would be. Oh, they, that would make an interesting counter to that kind of tactic. But there is no yeah. real counter to that. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that, and I think that some of the frustration I while playing the game feels like there there are puzzles here that there isn't actually a solution to right there are things that are simply meant to work an exact way and one of those ultimately for me the the point where i broke with the game was when presented with a situation what you're supposed to do much of the time is simply place a single dangerous unit where the enemy can see it and they can maybe see one or two other units and they will simply at that point decide never to engage with it. Uh, like you can place, like placing it, for example, a, a deployed infantry missile launcher in a choke point in yep. a forest. You can only attack into a forest hex if you are next to it, right, in this game. So they, the enemy AI absolutely will not, unless it has overwhelming numbers, drive up next to that infantry unit ever. And so if it's a, two hex wide choke point and they can see everywhere that the enemy armored unit could move the enemy will simply never try to move through that space unless they can attack it with infantry first and i just didn't find plug all the gaps and then find a way through to be compelling puzzle gameplay in terms of war game as puzzle yeah i know i noticed that too that the um like the ATGM uh, launchers just had a force field around their, their range where enemy vehicles just never went near it. Like they, they, they would not. And so part of it becomes about like, you know, using that to your advantage uh, where those things don't, those things I, I, I learned to my frustration, had almost zero offensive uh, or even, or even like, defensive value in this in the sense of like they will help me destroy units that are attacking because they would just cause the ai to just stay away um it was like you know holding a cross to a vampire uh basically and once i would see the ai sort of get caught in these loops uh where they would sort of just be shut down in a part of the map because they just it, like it just it, it seemed like none of the uh units would take like it's almost like there was no higher level calculation happening with the AI at times where it would make those moves to just like sacrifice somebody in order to get a favorable position. Like as a player, you're immediately uh, here. Here's a dynamic that's, that's very familiar. It's, it's not about the anti-tank missiles. Um, so, because a lot of this game is, do you move or do you shoot? And then you have a lot of infantry fighting in forests. A thing you learn pretty quickly is that when you have, you are better off not moving the contact with enemy infantry. Instead, you want to park one hex away from them and hope that they will just walk into you. And then you get that first round of attacking uh, because, you know, your guys didn't move. They can all shoot and they're kind of stuck where they are. Um, 
what I rarely got the sense was that the AI could try something even like bum rushing you, right? Where they just kind of overwhelm your ability to target people down and get in your face. Um, and so you wouldn't see a lot of units checking themselves so that you'd have a bunch of units move into adjacency all at once. Um, enemy infantry would march pretty reliably into those kill zones and I wouldn't have to do much. Uh, enemy armor didn't seem willing to roll up like that uh, where, where they would where, where they would sort of all attack a position. That anti-tank missile can only fire once, right? And so to a degree, it's in the armor's favor to rush it, but it just wouldn't. They would just not. It, it seemed like all those units would look at it and say, well, I will get hammered by this uh, missile, so I'm not going to go there. And they just wouldn't. Um, and, I mean, because there's no carryover from one scenario to the next, it makes no difference whether you sacrifice a unit or not. Yeah. Just like playing chess, sometimes you want to sacrifice a powerful piece because it gives your other weaker pieces a better opportunity. And the AI here would not make that sacrifice, would never take a chance on a unit, even to lose it just to neutralize something else that's going on or to open up an opportunity. Um, it's, it's very risk averse. Uh, I saw the AI make, make those kinds of sacrifice plays in the later missions where they so extremely outnumber you that if they're, if they're looking at like three or four to one odds, they'll make sacrifice plays, but that is outlandish, right? Is it really even a sacrifice at that point? Yeah, no. I, well, and, that, and that's and that's a, that's a, a question too. Like when they've got those kind of numbers, um, because you can't stack units, uh, so to agree, there, there's also a problem of uh, units just will need to move, and eventually uh, you'll run out of space to advantageously uh, deploy, and you'll you'll just have to move out. But yeah, it, it felt very much like uh, the enemy units fought as very like atomized actors, and. That's fine. Like that's 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 true to a lot of games, uh, but you want you want a feeling of there being a little bit higher level decision making happening somewhere, um, and I just I rarely did, and so it felt a lot like the scenarios was mostly about just arranging a first arranging sort of the kill zone meat grinder thing, and then just kind of walking it forward um uh, across the map because you know I had plenty of time to to do that uh and it was it yeah it wasn't it, it was neither what I would want from a puzzle like war game uh but it's also not really what I would want from just you know a a general purpose, like your more general type of war game, right? It's not, it wasn't generating like dynamic battles where I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, there, there was a lot of tactics by rote that I was employing. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Can I take a crack at why I think you felt that way though? Yeah. So I found that I thought one of the, one of the biggest problems with this game was how random so many of the results are. And 
it's hard for me to say that because I am the person who's usually like, yeah, man, sometimes your cool surefire instant kill weapon just doesn't work. That's how the real world is. But so little else about this game is simulating any actual military reality, any nitty gritty detail that the problem I think you end up with is that for all that you can scare the enemy, you can rely on your own weapons very little. And the enemy's the same way. You can set up the same scenario in two different situations and you can end up with wildly divergent results simply because this time your ATGM shot did two damage instead of six. And it's the it's that randomness, right, that really kills it as a puzzle war game and turns it into a situation where you can figure out the perfect solution and then you just have to trial and error it over and over until you get high numbers on the combat rolls and you win. Whereas in a, a more puzzle-like war game, I would feel good because I'm like, okay, I know how to trade pieces. I know that this will be reliable in, in some way or another. Or in a more random war game, I can say, well, you know what? If those infantry charge into the open, they might just not die. Which could happen, right? A few times it's happened to me in this game where I was like, okay, well, like, this is the end of We Were Soldiers. Put on the bagpipes. We're charging across that open field to blow stuff up. And it just worked against all. I think it shouldn't have worked, but it did just because they did one damage instead of two a bunch of times with machine guns. I think it's an interesting notion. I, I I do think the random element, until you said that, I thought I'd liked it. Uh, because what they do here is they create, it doesn't look that random. They, they show you what the bounds of randomness are, right? So like, a tank can do um let's you know your 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 average tank that you do the start of the game i think shoots between six. a 4 or a 6 right it's it's like a 2 to 6 but if it moves it's 1 to 4 right yeah um but then the way armor works in the game is it takes two points of damage like so depending on how much armor if you have a point of armor it just deducts that amount of damage from the incoming shot and so you do have the classic war game thing of you get a bad roll the shot just bounces off like does nothing you see the you see the armor chips down but then it refills because armor doesn't uh like ablate away during um during a battle it it that like its idea there is it's almost like it shields uh and it just protects you from uh those first like couple points of damage and so yeah like when you have that kind of bounding on the randomness if you think about those interactions it can be extremely swingy um there are there are times where a really you know all armor in this game feels a little bit glass cannony i think yeah um all all but one unit i don't know if you all got far enough for the abrams to come out no the does abrams thing, feels pretty tough feel god here uh, spoilers i guess the abrams yeah. is pretty badass and it doesn't uh have the same it's it's not nearly as squishy. Like it can take that guaranteed one hit without dying. Yeah. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, but, but a lot of units, you know, you do, you, you, you just learn really quickly. I just can't trust sending tanks out to fight tanks. It's a, it's a fool's game. Uh, and so you'll always have to kind of um, gang tackle stronger enemy units 
But likewise, that does mean that at any moment, if you leave a unit exposed, it might just blow the hell up. Um, and again, that I think that also pushed me toward more conservative play. Uh, but I, again, I don't think that's necessarily wrong for a Cold War era war game. But at the same time, it you know you do have to kind of confront the fact that at every turn, the game is kind of encouraging you. Uh, you know, you should probably post up here. Uh, you know, why don't you only move a little bit forward? And then if you want to make a bigger move, wait till next turn, see what happens. And it reminds me of very, a lot of some of the issues you would encounter with um, XCOM Enemy Unknown, right? Where like the wrap on that game at times could be the way to win reliably was to create Overwatch traps and basically like creep through levels and XCOM 2 tries to mitigate that but ultimately like foundational to that design is this notion that reaction fire and forcing the enemy to walk into your uh you know your attack radius is way more powerful than you conducting some sort of flank maneuver uh to to, to sort of expose them and I think this game has that problem, but almost on steroids. Yeah, you're completely right. Uh, it has that problem. It has that design. And then the AI is programmed to never walk into traps. Yeah. And that to the point really, where, did, would you see, did you ever see it like doing almost like get stuck in a loop where like you'd see tanks basically like circling the parking lot? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Where, where like they they just wouldn't like any of the moves available and so a lot of times because the maps aren't that big a lot of times you will end up fighting on like two fronts uh just because the map dynamics and you will see the enemy it, it it does understand like hey you know i should maybe redeploy these tanks south because they're really making inroads there but you will see like there will there'll be times where just because of the way i was deployed um i would see enemy tanks kind of jog in and out of a position because they couldn't commit to going over to one of the fronts where the fighting was happening. They would just kind of get stuck. Uh, the, the thing is, like, there's this one time, it was a clear tell, this enemy armor column just parked in a clearing because I had an ATGM by one of those little, like, forest track hexes um, that basically allow you passage through a forest. So right. I, had, I had an ATGM uh, like buy one of those and this entire enemy armor column just like stopped dead and they wouldn't move and they wouldn't attack. They, they were just kind of, they were kind of stuck where they were. And then as I started making progress uh, in another part of the map, I watched those units start to leave and I was like, cool, I guess this like blocking position I've set up is going to be less useful. Uh, so I am going to uh, have one of my ATGM units basically embark and leave. The minute that unit left, uh, but because the, the enemy still had, had eyes on it uh, from another position, the minute that unit left, those enemy armored units came back. And so I just disembarked the ATGM and immediately those units stopped and started to move back to the other position. And they repeated that like a couple times. And it was like really easy to game at that point because it was like, oh, I can kind of, I can kind of get you stuck in no man's land just by like jogging where this uh, missile launcher is. 
And so like these are, you know, these are kind of the the issues that you run into uh, with this game. Yeah, I think uh, you see that a lot. You can see weird scenarios, too. Like I had a I had a funny map where I managed to get on two sides of an enemy and trap them in a clearing because the only two exits were covered by missile launchers. Right. And they had disembarked their infantry elsewhere on the map. And that's a tactic for me that came up a lot was trick the enemy into thinking the fight is going to be somewhere it's not because they will then drive all their personnel carriers up there and unload all their infantry into an irrelevant part of the map. And then you just reembark and drive away. And the enemy, I never, I don't think I ever saw the enemy reembark infantry into a personnel carrier. And so you'll have just have trapped their incredibly slow infantry in a pointless part of the map. Uh, And then you just sort of move to another part of the map and figure out how to get through the pile of armor that they've amassed there to try and counter you. Um, Troy, like I, I think one of the things that I kept returning to as I as I played this game was as sort of stripped down sparse war games go. I don't think this is necessarily a bad effort. Like I have all these criticisms of it, but in terms of like quality of life playing the game, it's very snappy. Um, it doesn't take long to suss out. Okay, here's how this game works. Here's you know here's how the tactics work. Um, I, I think in terms of it being a decent, accessible approach, it being uh, slick and really attractive, I think it works on all those fronts. And the thing I, I the thing I was left wondering was what what does it turn out? What 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 did I want from a Zachtronics War Game? Right? What 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 are the things that I would like to see a studio like this? address in war games what you know what what were what were the lessons i would have liked to see them draw from other games and then what were the problems i'd want to see them solve i mean this isn't his first strategy game uh he made a a a civil war mech card game uh about seven or eight years ago um and it was a card battle game and it was kind of fun and kind of cute but it had some real character to it um, and even as puzzle games, they're full of character. This didn't have a whole lot of character for me. It had a lot, some of those electronic feel here and there, but didn't have a whole lot of personality. Um, the game, because the game itself is, you know, kind of dry. Uh, your units have their behaviors and their expected outcomes, and they smash together. Even the in-between scenario uh, dialogue vignettes, where you know, got the hardened Vietnam vet and the skeptical privates and everyone's are they the russians no they're speaking english who are these guys and all that's kind of silly and doesn't have a whole lot of personality to it um so i think i I was i'd be kind of expecting from the studio a little more of an out of left field perspective instead of this kind of you know very basic very straightforward uh war game um which I, i mean you're right it is it is fine as a very basic war game but it's not the type of war game like, oh, this is a starter war game because nothing you learn here can really be moved on to anywhere else. You're not going to be learning anything really about tactics. You're not going to learn a whole lot about the era. You're not going to learn anything about equipment. You're not going to learn a whole lot about beyond you know, the basics of stay away from the big guns, bad things hide in forests. Very straightforward, very great. 
and but that's not a lesson you can take forward into other war games. So it's a great casual battle experience, and there's you know some nice moments to it. And like I said, there are a lot of things I really like about uh, the way the game has been, <laughs> has been designed. But yeah, from a Zachtronics war game, I was probably looking for a little bit more character. Uh, a little more, um, something a little bit more peculiar, I think. Um, it, seem, it seems very straight. This seems very 1950s, you know, businessman type war game. Yes. You know what? It feels like it would be perfectly at home sitting, and this is, this is a backhanded compliment if I've ever given one on this podcast. And that's, it feels like it would be perfectly at home sitting next to tactics on the shelf straight up. Like 1950s war game is an excellent insight, Troy. Yeah, it's, um, it's very bookcase games. Uh, that's, that's for sure. I think when I, when I think about this, I think I would have, I guess I had this sense that there might be more complicated interactions between the, like there, there's a little bit of this in that a lot of weapon, like, like your units have these abilities, uh, you know, tanks can shoot a machine gun. They can pop smoke. They can shoot a main gun. I guess I was also looking for a little bit, of maybe some of the electronic warfare type stuff you might find on a Cold War ba- battlefield, uh, a, a little and and not not in a mini game that exists outside the war game, right? But maybe a little more, a little more playing around with this notion of detection. Uh, you know, if you can if 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 you can see it, you can kill it. Um, because I think I think games like this have. For one thing, the vast majority of them that fit this bill uh, that, that operate like roughly like this are going to be about World War II. And I think part of that is because it is a little bit more forgiving to give you this idea that, oh, you know, you can just sort of let these units bash into each other and trade body blows and then let the rock, paper, scissors of it all um, work out, work itself out. And here, it does note that units are incredibly vulnerable uh, when when they're embarked, um, you know, being visible to powerful guided weapons uh, is, is really dangerous. But I was looking for a little bit more of a game that would do something with those insights. Uh, in in the way that like air land battle, one of its one of its major insights is that information is uncertain on the battlefield, right? You you don't you you can see things, but that doesn't necessarily know mean that you see everything in a space. You know, units have different profiles, um, and so it creates these interesting margins of uncertainty uh, where you have an observed part of the battlefield, but that doesn't necessarily mean something couldn't have slipped past uh, here everything is just kind of laid out for you and there's no way to really interact with the fog of war or the uncertainty of the battlefield in any kind of interesting way. And so it becomes a very 
World War One like game in some ways, where it's a lot of long lines of troops, uh, you know, trading hits, but not a lot of interesting ways to break those stalemates, break those standoffs. And I was I was hoping that there might be some kind of uh, some kind of idea about how to capture the way tactics of this period and the the tools of warfare of this period uh you know could be utilized both to be really powerful on defense but also to allow breakthroughs and allow workarounds uh for these dilemmas and there's just there's just not it, it, you know it's 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 an 80s it, it's a, it's a very 80s flavor uh but i there's there's not a lot in terms of what can these units do that's really interesting? Yeah, you're very right. And I think that it, I got, I got really excited and I got really interested in the idea that like they give you this cool, weird calculator, right? And a lot more interesting stuff could have been made of the unknown of this game of the, yeah, this is a different, a different track of development that the United States maybe could have taken. They've got these very uh, French, like the, the alternate reality U.S. very early on, you see. They've got these French-style, like, six-wheeled gun carriages instead of as many tanks as you have. And Later on, they've there's a great... there's some, There are a few moments of sort of the Zaktronics brilliance where you get to see these snippets of everyday life. Um, and one of them is an intersected bit bit of communications where two enemies are talking to their to each other and they're saying like can you imagine like look at the crazy weapons these guys have can you imagine what kinds of wars they must have had right because the other side clearly doesn't had didn't fight vietnam right yeah. they don't have nearly as many helicopters as you do and there's little bits and pieces like that that could be fascinating but instead what you end up doing is you have a scout unit right? You can deploy like a scout helicopter in some missions and you'll deploy it the first time you play the mission, fly it around, see where all the enemies deployed from and then restart the mission. Because that was a wasted point, but now you've got the value out of it. And that's kind of it, right? That the E-War stuff isn't there. And there's an interest, there's interesting stuff with laser guided bombs in some of the missions and that's fun to use, but it's ulti- and it, it does capture a more Cold War maneuver warfare flavor when you do get to use it because you've got these devastating special operations teams that can kind of just pop out. They can move and then laser designate something and then just erase it from the earth. And that's neat, but it the rest of the game doesn't quite have that going. You touched on something there that I was also uh, hoping that more would be done with, uh, which was the overall conceit here, uh, which is that you have kind of a, um, yeah, there was this, there was a comic uh, a couple of years ago, like Arkhangelsk about, it, it seems to be a historical spy drama, but it turns out the entire thing is uh, in the, is actually an alternate uh, history and alternate universe uh, type of situation that you, that you're dealing with. And I kept waiting for there to be a real turn where 
I don't know. Like there, there'd be some sort of in, into the spider verse of uh, Cold War wargaming, uh, but it doesn't sound like it ever really does that. It doesn't sound like you ever into the crazy world of alternate U.S. military histories that throw together all these, the, the mash up all these weird influences and create all these weird armies. It doesn't sound like, in terms of what you're doing on the map, uh, that it ever that it ever throws that kind of curveball. Um, you know, no, I, I don't think it ever does. Right. It, and that's disappointing. I mean, they, they throw a few funny things at you. They, the other side has weird units and it's also clear that you have things. The other side just doesn't have a counter to, uh, like you have, you have Apache gunships and they just don't, they just have nothing equivalent to that. But in the end, it's just kind of like, it's like you have an extra rook in chess and they have an extra Bishop or something. It, it just yeah. doesn't quite, play out into interesting conflict. I think like my view as I sort of uh, look at my feeling about this game. um, I think it can be easy to look at war games just as an idea and think, that is a really hidebound space where it would not be hard to uh, do something interesting. But I think my biggest frustration with this game is it seemed really naive of the most interesting things that have happened in sort of the war game Milsim space. And yeah, like the undo button? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. That's just my favorite thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, like there's, 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 there's plenty of, there's not enough really interesting war games, but, uh, there, there's certainly a lot that are, that are adopting different approaches, uh, to getting interesting dilemmas in, in military conflict. And that's especially true if you look at tabletop, but even in, uh, you know, computer, computer war games, RTSs, there's, there's plenty of games you can look at that are, uh, like tackling problems similar to what Mobius 83 is interested in and finding more dramatic and interesting ways to, to sort of bring them to life. And Mobius 83 just feels like it feels like a game uh, that is showing up at war game university and it is a freshman and it does not know what it does not know. Um, and that's not going to stop it from putting its hand up and being, you know, and, and sort of holding forth. But uh, from the standpoint of somebody who plays a lot of these fucking games, including, you know, some of the things this is kind of aping uh, that, that I think are already kind of outmoded. Um, this this just feels not like a loving genre tribute. It just feels like a really basic entry in a in in a in a genre that has gotten a little stale yeah i think uh, i think you're very much right it's it's a pretty weak game in the same year that unity of command 2 exists and that's uh that's harsh on it in the end troy any uh any any final thoughts or feelings about this one i mean I, i'm glad it's out there i'm glad it exists i think this is actually i think this there are enough, you know, positive things about the game, and it's a, it, you know, it's a reasonably, 
I mean, how much is it? It's a reasonably priced game, right? It's like $23 Canada, so it's like $19, $20 yeah. US. Um, if people want like a casual, you know, just dive around and blow things up. Um, and the solitaire game is very good. And I, Absolutely. I, still, have, I still haven't figured out, not to make, I still haven't figured out the signals game. That's really a pain in the ass I try to figure out. I'm not, I am not good at that. Uh, even the tutorial kicked my ass repeatedly. Um, I quite like the signals game. A, a thing I can say for this game is that no matter what mood I'm in, when I open it up, unless I'm like, it's time to play a shooter. If I open this game, I will find something fun to do. I'm either going to play a yep. war game or I'm going to do a puzzle or I'm going to play solitaire. It does have, it's not a game you would sit and play. I mean, you play for multiple hours. This is a game you play a couple of scenarios and put it away. Um, it doesn't have really a lot of immersion. Um, it does have, you know, the maps are repetitive, but can sometimes be a little bit of a challenge. I'm only a little bit into, uh, the second chapter, so I haven't seen a lot of the high level content yet. Um, it's a neat little game, but I don't think it points any necessarily way forward for people to learn more about much of anything, um, which is fine. It can just be a standalone thing. Um, I Like I said, I wish it had a little more personality to it, a little more variety. Um, and I wish I did enough to lose all the time before I, I wish I could. I wish I could win through my brains and the answer isn't always the same thing. That's kind of my big wish here. But there was a little more variety. And I think maybe if the maps had a little more variety in terrain, like what would happen if there was a hill here? Yeah. The hill gave me some visual perspective instead of just um, here's some trees you can hide in. Um, a little more elevation would be nice. There are lots of things that would be relatively easy, I think, that makes a much more interesting game tactically. And like you said, uh, Rob, a little more of the early uh electronic warfare you would have in the early 80s i mean a lot of this is still very very basic but they're still working on it um this isn't like the soviets showing up with a whole lot of jammers these are you know americans from an alternate universe going through a wormhole i think there are quite a few options uh that could have been pursued but i am very happy i'm kind of glad he's he's gone back to strategy games i think he does have an interesting uh I think uh, Zach Barth does have something to contribute here, and I hope he comes back to them. I think. Yeah, I, I can only hope that the for all the bad things I've said about the game, it's really pretty. The art's solid. Uh, the music does the job. I didn't turn it off, which is always a compliment for me in game music. And it, it is interesting to play. It's not not fun. I would love to see another crack at a a turn-based strategy game from this dev and because i think that zactronics is one of the best developers working today simply in the kinds of games they make that no one else seems capable or willing of making and so strategy is a space obviously as my favorite space that i would love to see them do more work All right, I think we will leave it there for this week. We hope you've enjoyed the show. This episode is produced by Liana Hafer. Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can more at patreon.com slash 3MA. It also has further information about our super secret Discord server where we occasionally talk about strategy games. 
Anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Troy, for John, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.